in three two one and we're live are you not entertained are you not entertained is this not why you were here how about new you crazy dutch bastard what we've got here is failure to communicate 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me so. What's up, everybody? It's Friday night. It's the Dad's a Drink. We're having all kinds of fucking technical difficulties tonight, but I promise it's not going to take away from the show. We have an excellent show planned for you guys. Jeff pulled a couple strings, called a friend that he knows, and we got a former NFL Super Bowl champion on the show. Fred Miller's with us. We're going to get right into it. But you know what? Let's get into a little bit behind him before we actually bring him on to talk. So Fred Miller is a former Baylor letter winner, a 13-year NFL lineman for the Tennessee Titans and the Chicago Bears. He has a deep history in giving back and doing for others. When he played for Tennessee in 2001, he donated over a million dollars to fund the Nurses for Newborns Foundation in Nashville. It's one of the largest single charitable donations in NFL history. The, organize, the organization is designed to help prevent infant mortality, child abuse, and neglect through home-based programs. In 2005, Miller also made the largest financial contribution to Baylor from any NFL player. He was a two-time All-Southwest Conference selection in four seasons at Baylor from 92 to 95, starting 41 of 44 games played and graduating with a degree in sociology. But more than that, he's a Super Bowl champion, and he's been to the big game twice. He's also in the Baylor Hall of Fame. Let's give a very warm welcome to Mr. Fred Miller. Sir, how are you? Great, doing really good. Man, you know what? Um, that intro would be absolutely fantastic if you add a little bit of 48 hours. <laughs> No, is it 48 hours? I don't know. You tell me. And, no, no, and... It's um, trading uh, trading places. Okay. Places. What Last part? Last time I saw you, you were crying like a pussy. <laughs> 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 I just <need that> one. <laughs> okay. Well, we can definitely do that. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, uh, Mr. Miller, we appreciate it so much that you came on because there is so much to talk to you about in stuff that you've done, not just in football, but in life in general. You are largely known as a very charitable man, a, a very large man. Can you give us your stats real quick and just how big you are? Um, Playing what? Like one of those wrestlers back in the day. Um, weight unknown. Height unknown. <laughs> Fred's but a mountain I'm, of a man. I'm in that category, right? Okay, all right. So we're not speaking now, but when he played, he, he was probably actually. Uh, Fred's on. Fred's a an old friend, and I played football with. Oh, I should say, 
I played football with Fred when Fred was at Baylor for his, uh, I guess what was first uh, couple, his last two years, my first two years. And then um, we went to a bowl game together, and Fred was a, a true bona fide badass. Uh, his senior year, I think he was 6'7", 320-ish, maybe 305. I think your combine, or, or your combine numbers were 304 when you weighed in. But uh, when people don't realize when Fred showed up at Baylor, he was about 225 pounds. That dude put on 100 pounds, probably 80% of it was muscle, uh, between the time he got there from Aldine uh, to the time he left, and he was a fifth-round draft pick. Uh, I really – Aldine, my bad, Eisenhower. I should know how Houston works. That's all me. My, that's all me. I grew up close. I was in the greater Houston area competing when I came out too, so uh, I should know. You got Nimitz, MacArthur. Hi, all that stuff. But I hear you. You're Eisenhower. I got you. Right. Um, but uh, I, I put on 100 pounds in the last year, too. <laughs> it's not from any physical labor on my part, I don't think. I think it's from carbs, potatoes, bread. I found this new bread called butter bread. Have you ever had that? It, butter bread. Oh, it is the most amazing bread you will ever eat in your life. Now I'm, now I'm on that brioche. I'm on the fresh. Brioche is Oh, that's good. nice, yeah, too. That's, that's But that that's pretty bougie. A little chocolate in there, My some chocolate. Has, ex- has expanded, so <laughs> I'm on the brioche. So, funny that you say something about weight, because after my freshman year, they came to me like, hey, man, you're too fat. you got to lose some weight. Uh, so, <laughs> they put me on a Jack Crow. Jack Crow. He's like, in that Texas game, we lost 63-35 on Thanksgiving Day. You seem to be moving slower. We, you, you, if you don't lose three pounds a week, every week in the off season, you got to show up at 5 a.m. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, I, I'm winning the busty 240. I'm, I'm not quite that big. Anyway, let, let's, <laughs> let's get into it. So let's talk a little bit about uh, when you were younger, before you ever made it to Baylor, high school, things like that. What kind of motivated you through high school and to move on to that next level and then ultimately on to that even higher level, the highest level there is? All right. So, you know, so, you know, when I was growing up, so my father died when I was young in a car accident. So that left my, my three sisters, my mother and myself. So... You know, I always said to myself, you know, you know, at that young of age, I felt that I had to be the man in the house. And, you know, I didn't want to be just a statistic. And so I wanted to do something positive for my life. And, and actually, my goal in life was to get a job that that I had benefits. That's it. Get a job <laughs> with health benefits. That, that was my goal in life. And I, I knew absolutely nothing about college football absolutely nothing so when um when i went to high school um so we had a um orientation meeting and uh my uh, coach at high school was the legendary dick Owen, uh seven you know the inventor of 707 uh, and dick told my mother he's like he's gonna be able to go to any college he wants to and she knew, didn't know what that mean. I didn't know what that mean. And so, so I still just kept playing. And, um, you know, when I started getting recruited, I had absolutely, I didn't know anything about the process, nothing at all. And um, I remember uh, Coach Olin coming to me and asking me, he's like, hey, where do you want to go to school? And I just remember 
something in the paper. So this was in 1990, 91, and something about Nebraska. And I said, hey, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know anything. I just said Nebraska just to say it. Um, and so um, I started getting recruited. And, uh, um, and uh, Baylor actually came in late. And, um, and at that time, the movie, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of, was it Johnny Be Good or? Yeah, that's Johnny Be Good, Anthony Michael Hall. Johnny Be Good. Yep. Yeah, Anthony yeah, Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. Right, so I, right, right. So I, so I was thinking the whole recruiting process was supposed to be like Johnny Be Good. <laughs> 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 that's right. That was my reality of the recruiting process. So I'm like, nah, no way. These guys came in late. And my coach was like, man, you got to give Baylor a try. They give him, you know, it's a pretty good school. You know, go up there and take a look at him. I'm like, all right. Went up there, took a look at him, absolutely fell in love. Grant Taft, um, Coach Dry, you know, F.A. Dry recruited me. And uh, absolutely fell in love with it. I'm like, you know what, this is where I'm going to school, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, you know, the rest is kind of history. And, you know, when you were getting recruited at Baylor, was, was J.J. Joe already there, the quarterback? Yeah, yeah. So they J. had a good yeah, – they already had some good, solid years, and they were building on yeah. that program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. J.J. was already there. Matter of fact, you know, so, you know, normally if you're thinking, you know, hey, I'm going to come into, you know, I'm going to come into a situation where I could play and – you know, I was thinking, I'm, I'm going to come into a situation where I can redshirt, mm-hmm. you know, graduate, get a degree, and, you know, and I'll be out. Well, when I came in, you know, four of the five offensive line were preseason, you know, all Southwest Conference. And, you know, you had great defensive players in Santana Dodson. Right. And Robin Jones. And, um, Leisha Maston yep, and Mike McFarland and you know Keith Caldwell and uh, you know and my host was Frankie Smith and Frankie was a um, they wound up moving him to cor- they wound up moving him to cornerback that year but he was a fullback the previous year oh yeah, yeah. you know he right so he moved from fullback to cornerback Crazy. cornerback and got drafted by <laughs> I think it was the 49ers Damn. um so uh what did he just not was he real bulky or did he just transitioned you know, pretty, pretty you know, smoothly smoothly I think he was just such a good athlete he's that you know he was the kind of guy that who could put on weight lose weight and his mentality was he can learn anything and do anything, no matter what you ask him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the only way I can explain how can a guy move from fullback to cornerback. You know, it, that, that, I don't two, know if two, I've ever heard of a jump like that and then someone get drafted. <laughs> ever. Right, he got drafted. He got drafted fourth round. You hear some like tight ends that go to uh, offensive line, or some linebackers that go to safety, or right, vice exactly. versa. Like Erlacher, you played with, he went from safety New Mexico or State, and he played right. linebacker. So you never hear of a fullback going to corner ever. Right, ever. 
However, fullback going to linebacker, yes. Linebacker going to fullback, yes. yes. Leche Maston, yep, yep. He was a lot. He was a linebacker, and in the NFL, he was a fullback. So, you know, it, it's you know those are those two positions are pretty similar, but fullback to cor- to cornerback, no. Right, right. So, and you know, Frankie did it. And, uh, you know, dude was just such a great athlete, man, was such a great guy. And that's a, that's the thing with my football experience is I've been around so many great guys that are willing to teach, um, you know, as long as you're willing to, as long as you're willing to listen and learn, they're willing to teach. And I've been around so many great guys like that. And I think that's what really helped my career out a lot. So, so at so Baylor, Baylor were, were you, were you did, was Grant Taft, Taft still the head coach when you were, you were uh, recruited, right? Yes. And then, he, so you were there for the, the, the Taft Reedy transition. transition. Yes. How was How that? Was that? From, I, I, I never heard kind of the inner workings of that you from know, your, like a player so, perspective. <laughs> so I, I, I remember. Um, so Trooper, Trooper Taft. <laughs> if I was ever on a coaching staff, Trooper Taylor would be my first hire. He's he's the best. Just because of he, the way he can talk and the way he can persuade people, and you know, you know what? If if I was ever the CEO of any business, Trooper Taylor would be my like running company. company. He relates, he relates to the right. players and he relates, he relates coaches. He, relates and he, he knows the he game. Just, right. He right. He relates to people. He right. knows how to talk to people. And so, and so, uh, so I was with Grant for two years, uh, Coach Chad for two years. Mm-hmm. And so then when um, we were, when Baylor was looking for the next hire, um, Coach Reedy was in the running to get hired. And so Trooper was, uh, you know, so he was he was going out and trying to recruit people to to vouch for Coach Reed. So okay. he, he brought down a petition for <laughs> us to sign to hire Coach Reed. Oh, and um, and you know, many of us signed that. Now, going back, um, would I have signed that? I probably would have. You know, as a it's being responsible to myself and to the organization. I wouldn't have signed that because I would have wanted to hear from all the applicants sure, sure. and not, and not weigh it against, uh, heavily against one side to the other. Sure. I would like to give everyone a fair chance mm-hmm. and let everyone give, um, you know, give their say. Um, so, you know, and, and two, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what what time of, what how much weight that petition held, but you know, um, but that, that that's how the transition happened. Coach Reedy wound up getting the, you know, getting the job. Did the offense like, like the architecture of the offensive things that stay about the same, same from when you got there, there, even with Reedy taking over, or did any of that change in your perspective? Yeah, it's yeah, it's you know, since he was the offensive coordinator. You know, it stayed. It stayed about the same. Um, and the thing about it, he he 
he moved up a lot of coaches that were already there, coaches mm-hmm. who were, uh, you know, GAs. And um, uh, so he didn't bring in very many different mm-hmm. people. Uh, he brought in some different guys on defense, uh, Coach McCullough, yep. uh, Andy Mack. Um, I think he brought in Coach Rucker. And Andy Mack was an uh, amazing uh, – not just coach, but recruiter, and that's who I've coached under for the yeah. shoes. And, and that's who picked me up on my visit was Andy Mack. Yeah, he picked me up in College Station and drove me to Waco. I think he was at UTEP at that time. Okay. Because okay. he recruited yeah, he recruited me out of UTEP. Um, coach, you know, Coach Rucker, Coach Cope. You know, so he brought in, he brought in a, you know, a number of guys on defense. Fedora was already there. He was a okay. graduate okay. assistant. Um, and they brought in Coach West. Ron West, so, um, uh, so you know, it, you know, he did a, he, 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 a lot of the stuff. Say the same. Okay. Okay. So, so when did you, when did you uh, up? You know, you, know, you, you played with some against great defenders on your team and against defenders in the league, and you and you learned from some really good guys that were offensive linemen with your group. Um, when did you? realize I may have a chance to go to the next level and I got to start preparing for that. After my sophomore year, I was like, you know what? You know, I'm actually pretty good. I can move around on the field. I was like, uh, you know, I'm actually pretty good. I didn't realize what it would take to be an NFL lineman, but I was like, you know, I could play this game. You know, I had a lot of confidence. I could play this game. I can, you know, I could do the necessary things. Um, but, um, you know, but at the same time, just a lot of my ability uh, got me by when I needed more technique. Mm-hmm. But you got me, and, and that happens in college. Uh, you know, guys in college are nowhere near as good as the guys in the NFL. For people who think, a 11 and 0 uh, college national championship team can be a one and yeah, yeah right. right like the one Dolphins last year in Alabama or something. That one and 15 they would Dolphins get, team yeah. will beat the college team by 100 points. Right, right, easy. Right, it's right. not even a comparison. Yeah, that's yeah, some that's of the some dumbest, dumbest uh, equivalents, equivalents, or the, or the, the what people say out there. Sometimes I'm like. That that is so much bull crap. But and then you have a guy like me that well, I was barely scratching six foot, and I didn't even go to the pro uh, pro days. And people go, "Why didn't you play in the NFL?" I go, uh, "I wasn't good enough. <laughs> I didn't go." <laughs> but uh, I would have taken a backup or a third string job any day of the week. At least you didn't say you didn't get hurt. At least you realized. Well, you know, it is what it is, right? Right, it is. Uh, some people do, some people don't know their limitations. They don't. They don't. But, uh, but uh, so getting so into your pro career, career um, can you kind of go into uh, maybe the chronology of your pro career, uh, where you're drafted, uh, and you know you were three great teams, uh, and get into that and, and kind of your history, and maybe tell us a little bit about what you like the most from those those franchises and yeah, teams. Yeah, I, I noticed GJ left out, you know, the St. Louis Rams, you know. The team that I won the Super Bowl with. Yeah, that's who you won with. Uh, but yeah, so I was drafted with the St. Louis Rams. Um, drafted in fifth round. 
Um, you know, my first year, I didn't. So the first, <laughs> the first four games, I didn't play at all. I wasn't even dressed. So they dressed mm. fifty three. They dressed forty five players. Right, right. I say dressed forty five players are allowed on the sidelines with gear on. 53 players are allowed on the team. Okay. Um, so they have to distinguish who are the 45 they're going to dress. So I didn't dress the first four games. Um, so I could deep snap. Um, and uh, so on the fifth game, they say, uh, all right, we need you to deep snap. And <laughs> so you, I didn't know it at this at this time. So, but looking back at it, they weren't really trying to win a whole lot of games because you just don't throw someone in there a deep snapper who who only done it on the <laughs> sideline <laughs> and not and not really you know I didn't deep snap you know my college career but i could do it right right so i traveled just to deep snap and so i wound up deep snapping uh my first year you know my that was your first action yep (laughs) right it's deep snapping that's crazy so um then my second year you know um they were like hey you know we got to get you on the field you're one of our better alignment and so they moved me. Uh, no, so I just so I played back and forth. I was a swing tackle, and um, and I would come in when guys get hurt or, sure, or sure. come up with mop up duty when you're getting killed. And you know, at the Rams at that time, you know, we were. Hey, Fred, sorry to interrupt you. Remind us who was who were some during those that first year or two. Who was some other Rams that were playing and the head coach and all stuff. So, all right, so my draft year, uh, Lawrence Phillips. Oh, Nebraska, yeah. Yep, Lawrence Phillips and Andy Kennison were the first-round picks. Um, uh, Ernie Conwell and Tony Banks okay. were the second-round picks. And uh, Gerald Moore was the third-round pick. Purcell Gaskin was the fourth-round pick. I was a fifth-round pick. Chuck Stevenson was the sixth round pick. Um, and guys on my team were, you know, we had some good, we had a good group of veterans. Isaac Bruce. Okay. Um, um, uh, Wayne Gandy. He was a, he was a tackle when I was there. Uh, Roman Pfeiffer was a linebacker. DeMarco Farr, defensive tackle. Kevin Carter. Um, so we had a we had a real good nucleus, but it was a nucleus of very young guys. And, okay. And very young guys that didn't know how to win, and and so and that's a and that's the one thing I I didn't really I didn't really know there's a way to win. You got to learn how to do it, and. Um, and just throughout that time, so my first couple of years, we just didn't know how to do it. Then, mm-hmm. um, my fourth year there, Mike. So Mike Martz was the, you know, who was the architect for right. the greatest show on turf. 
he was a receivers coach my first year. And um, so when he came back to be the offensive coordinator, we had some success. I'm talking in practice, we were killing the defense. Really? Really? Oh, just killing it. Just killing them. And we brought in, so we brought in Trent Green, and we would. We would have some success. Then all of a sudden, Marsha Falk showed up. <laughs> that show that oh, that turned into the show. show. <laughs> right. It, it was like oh, and we just absolutely were giving it to the defense. And so we still didn't have any confidence about us uh, just of yet. But you know we, you know we still had a little bit of swagger. Like, all right, man, this is what this feels like. You know, moving the ball. So we go into our first preseason game. Trent Green goes absolutely perfect. Mm. Not one drop pass. And we're moving the ball. It will, no problem at all. So. A lot of times you just think, well, you know, it's preseason. They're not giving it their all. Right, right. You know, going to the second game, Trent Green, absolutely perfect. Mm. No drop balls. And we're like, wow, you know, this feels pretty good. We not, you know, we know how to move the ball and have success. We go into the third game, moving the ball, Trent Green, absolutely Trent Green, no uh, drop passes. Um, what's his damn name? Um, Got Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce. No, 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 nope. no, no. The safety, uh, the safety for San Diego. That. Um, that he oh. In the, in the knee. Um, gosh, what's his name? Oh, was it? Uh, play for New England. Play oh, yeah, yeah. He's on the ES, uh, in Sunday Night yeah. Football. Yeah. Uh, gosh, his what name will come to me in a second. What year? Uh, what year is that? 2003? No, that was two. No, no, that was uh, 99. Um, gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Uh, not mad. Cheap shot. Yeah, he he was. I didn't so like him anyway, much in his so uh, Patriots stage. Yeah. Right. Go ahead, Fred. Trent, bro, his blow his knee out. And Rodney Harrison. Rodney Harrison. That's it. Blow his knee out. And I forgot the team you won the Super Bowl with, but I just saved us on that one. Oh what? <laughs> By the way, when you won the Super Bowl, I I made sure I knew you. So, <laughs> go ahead, Fred. So he, uh, so Trent blew his knee out. You know, late hit, terrible, chicken shit ass hit. And it was his plant foot. It was his left leg, I think. Yeah, yeah. What Rodney is known for. So Trent goes out, and we're like, okay. Here's what you know. Here's what's going on. Now we got this situation so Kurt goes in and uh, I was like alright we're going to rally behind Kurt Kurt gets in just starts throwing strikes like alright go to the next game and so the fourth game starters don't normally play that much mm-hmm. you play for a series and that's it 
I'm like, no, nah, we got to get Kurt some rep. So, all right, we got to play most of the time. I mean, he, he looked good. So, um, we go in that first game, and, man, we're just tearing – I'm talking about tearing it up. Every, you know, second game, we play the Ravens with, you know, Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis, and, yeah. Yep, and Ray Lewis wasn't the Ray Lewis of mm-hmm. – Super Bowl years, but he was, you know, he was pretty damn special then. Um, and we, were, you know, we were just killing, killing them. They, no one could stop us. We just, you know. So, so did Kurt? Kurt Warner just come from nowhere? Did y'all know he had the cinnamon at all? No, no, just came from nowhere. Literally, just, just came from nowhere. Yeah. And he was just on the money, and then. Was it that year y'all went to the Super Bowl and won, or was it the year after that? That year. That year. God. Yeah. And that was, uh, was it 2000? That was 90, well. 99, 2000. Okay. Right. So, Fred, t- t- you know, you went working hard and earning your spot and getting on the squad, but how gratifying was it? to go from a, bu- a team that didn't know how to win with all this young talent, and then somehow, you know, the NFL's crazy. It's, you have trades, you have free agents, you have things that happen, which you got Falk. Uh, Kurt Warner just shows up from off the streets, you know, sh- working at grocery stores and stuff. How special and gratifying was that uh, on, on a player level? Well... You know, as a young guy then, you didn't really appreciate what was going on uh, because we didn't have su- we didn't have that much success early. So we, you know, so it, it, it was hard to have. It was hard to judge it. Um, but looking back, looking back at it, and looking back at the achievements. It's more gratifying now knowing what we went through in order to get to the position that we did and knowing where we were the previous year. We were we were three and thirteen. Yeah, I was gonna say you were three and thirteen and went to winning the Super Bowl. Right. We were three and thirteen to win in the Super Bowl. It's it's like <laughs> you know, it's like all the stars aligned. It's like <laughs> you know, heaven opened up and said, Hey, this is what I want right now. So, so you played the Tennessee Titans that that game, correct? Yes. And then you signed a contract with the Titans the next year to be one of their tackles, right? Yeah. So, tell us about that and your experience in Tennessee, and you can even get into uh, how the charity came about because I think that's where it started, right? With what you did. Right. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> and how was it playing for the team you just beat, by the way? <laughs> you know. It was a it was a love hate relationship for probably the first year, you know. They would, I'm talking about that. That's one thing I loved about Tennessee is they would tease you a bunch, and uh, Bruce Matthews. Oh, beast! Uh, you know, he was a guy that played 20 years in the NFL and and um, perennial Pro Bowler and you know All Pro, and you know. He would laugh at your good times. He would laugh at your bad times. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, they would always just make fun of me talking about how 
how much I miss St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess I would always talk about St. Louis and man, they were, you know, guys who just got tired of here. So when did you start wearing your uh, Super Bowl ring around them? <laughs> oh, uh, the, the first day I got it. So uh, we had our ring ceremony like in May. And as soon as I got the, as soon as I got my ring, I wore it and, you know, drove back, you know, so at the time, you know, so I was, ha- you know, at the time I was like having, uh, 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 had my uh, uh, second kid. So I go back and uh, so I'm going back and forth between Nashville and Tennessee. It's a five hour drive, five, six hour drive. So. You know, I would drive back on. I would drive up on the weekdays, work out, drive back on the weekend, stay with the family, and went back, had the ring ceremony, came back, had my ring. You know, showed it off in the locker room, made fun of the guys, had a good time with it. So, so they were just good. They they were a good group of guys like that. So let me ask you about the Super Bowl because there's some interesting things that I read about you. So. In the first Super Bowl, if I read it correctly, you said that you weren't really focused on like the halftime show, the spectacle of the Super Bowl, anything like that. You had a job to do, and that's what you were focused on. You you couldn't even remember what the halftime show was. And then when you went to the Super Bowl the second time, you said that um, it wasn't that big of a deal. You'd already been there before. It wasn't wasn't that big of a thing. So, can we talk about? just the difference in the mind state that you have between one and two and then what you're feeling before number one and what you're feeling before number two. So a lot of that has to do to what, what, who we were playing. So when we were playing Tennessee, you know, I was going against, you know, Javon Javon Curse. And in the regular season, we played them. I had probably the worst game of my career. I think what eight false starts, uh, holding penalty, the personal foul, you know, sack, just absolutely horrible game. Needless and to so, say, he got shut down in the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, we'll go, right, going back to that game, going back into the uh, um, to Super Bowl, I was like, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that let us down that prevent us from winning the Super Bowl. Absolutely. That's not going to be me. I saw Max Lane against Reggie White, you know, Patriots against New England, Mm -hmm. and that's not going to be me. So I was like, I got to be locked in. And, you know, to this day, you know, you can, you know, you can ask my, you you, you, you can ask the offensive line coach, um, Jim Hannafin, you know, he, you know, as soon as he sees me, he's like, Fred, he's like, all I, all I can do is remember that face you had <laughs> coming into that locker room. He's like, dude, I knew you were ready. He said, like, you were ready to go. Well, the second game, we were playing, you know, New England. I played New England so many times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I knew what their guys were going to do. So, you know, that just wasn't – it wasn't as much of a challenge as it was right. in Tennessee. Because you played New England when you were on the Titans in the same same 
same conference, exactly. whereas you were in the exactly. NFC with the Bears, and then y'all just right. met them once in the Super Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, I can see you had a lot of experience. You weren't intimidated by the Patriot name and the prestige and all that, so you didn't get too caught up in that. But, uh, yeah, I could understand how – I mean, going against the freak and, 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 and being an offensive tackle in the Super Bowl, it's strange how a defensive end can take over a game and how much pressure it is on you to – protect your quarterback, especially with the powerful offense he had. So that must have been a lot of pressure for sure. Yeah, especially with an offense that didn't give you a lot of help. Yeah. So, you know, and, and Mike Mars came to me. He's like, you know, on um, on the uh, on the Friday practice, he's like, hey, look, we're not going to do any chips. We're going to do the same thing that we normally do. <laughs> if you block them, you block them. If you don't, well. Right. So what? But he, he you know, seemed to be, speaking of him, he, he seemed to be a free willer, uh, stick to his guns. Here's what we do. Put put guys, in, your athletes in spacing, one-on-one blocks, and beat people with the blitz. It, he seemed to really believe in his quarterback, those blocking schemes in that system. Right. Uh, Selped him in some places right. he's been in. It's hard him. I think it really depends on who you got in those situations as your players. See, well, a lot of people don't see on the sidelines that they don't realize is that so Marts would want to call up a lot of pass, a lot of passes uh-huh. back then. And I did and our offensive line coach, he would cuss them out. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? This you know, I just can't leave my guys hanging out like that. Right. So he had someone to counterbalance him. I think when he went on to other you know, to other job opportunities, he didn't have that counter right. His mind, when it comes to offense, it is absolutely unbelievable. Jeff, you you know, you know, you've called plays before on offense. To call plays, you know, and and, and I've caught, I've coached some high school, you know, I've coached some high school ball where I'm calling plays, and to have a play ready in the amount of time to get it in for the play clock. With, with a, with a complex offense like Mart's, where all the shifts, shifts, yeah, motions, yeah. and and just how long the plays are to articulate. Yes, it is absolutely. Yeah, you know, I was like, dude, you know, we had a we had a reunion, and I was like, Mart's man, I don't know how you did it. I was like, dude, I was calling plays, and. You know, here I am. I would want to argue with a ref, and you know, I can't because I, I got to try to get this play right, in. Right. And you know, if you don't get the play in, then and you don't you don't get the situation that you want. And and I can tell you, as a player, being in his huddle, he got the plays in, and and I rarely, we rarely had to worry about. Okay, we don't have the right play. He had the right play for us, really? I would say, 90% of the time. That's easily. Huge. And so that's, you know, to be able to do that, that's a big deal. But at the same time, he gets a little pass happy. You know, he gets a little pass happy sometimes. And you got to be able to, you know. You want to come off the ball and hit somebody for a few plays, right? Well, you got to, right. You got to have that. In, well, you get in tendencies and there you go. people yep. and with all the analytics stuff going on, 
and I'm a big believer in analytics. If you know, if you don't realize that that you have a tendency, then you are going to get exposed. Exactly. So, so, so you, you have some great years in Tennessee. You played with amazing players. You played with a great uh, Steve McNair. You you were teammates with some transitioning to the Chicago. I guess you, you were there from 05 to 08, correct? Yeah. And you started the Super Bowl for them as well. Yeah. And, you know, y'all had a lot of uh, – we talked about with our, our guest last week, Clint Bruce, who's a Navy SEAL, played at West uh, West Point and uh, – Academy. Yeah, Naval, excuse me, Naval Academy, I'm sorry. And uh, starting in the league as well. All the adversity come across. But if I can recall right, y'all had quarterback issues. You had these issues – um, I don't know if it was Grossman, and then I forgot who the other quarterback at the time was, but it seemed to be – I think he came in for someone injured, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, can you talk yeah, to yeah. that and your experience Ortman. there? Yeah, you're talking about Ortman. Yes. And your experience there and, and how much harder it is to lose one than win one. Um, oh, well, you know, you definitely want to be on a win side. That, you know, that goes without saying. Um, you know, I, I just didn't – I think um, I think we didn't have the game plan. I, I don't think we had the game plan to win that game. I think it was just it was just kind of plain and vanilla. March wasn't going to give you that. He's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna give you you know he's gonna empty the barrel in the gun. And I don't think we emptied the barrel in the gun. I think we just kind of played into their hands and, and, um, you know, we lost the game. Uh, and it's just like, Mar- it, 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 you know, it comes to winning, you know, when you win a championship, so you, are you trying to win games? You gotta, you gotta give it your all. And if you don't give your all and you're trying to play it safe, and if you try to play it safe throughout the season, then, that's that's what you're gonna get. You can't you know, you can't be deficient in any area, and you gotta give it your all. Just go out there and if and and find out where your deficiencies are and improve those deficiencies. And I think that's the job. That's the thing that New England, you know, the Patriots do. Uh, you know, and especially with you know with Brady, um, you know. The NFL game, it's all about the quarterback. And if the quarterback can um, cannot turn over the ball, then you're going to win a majority of your games. Mm. And, you know, that's what the NFL does, and that's what the, and that's what the New England knows with Brady. They know he's not going to turn over the ball. They know they can, you know, slightly, pass a, slightly uh, press a gas pedal and go slow, and he can manage the game. Or he can, you know, if he needs to put it to the floor and go as fast as possible, he can manage that as well. Mm. That's why he has as many Super Bowls as he has. And no one else can do that like him. Um, And, you know, going back to Chicago, we were trying to slightly press a gas pedal versus a guy who can, you know, mash it to the floor. So let me ask you a question about let me ask you a question about Brady since we bringing him up and there's a huge upheaval in this offseason before we go into the possible next NFL season. 
first off, is he the GOAT? Oh, by far. Easy. No one's even close to him. Not even close. Okay. Okay. I'm a Montana fan. I'm a Montana fan. I'm a Kurt Warner fan. Brady is the GOAT by far. Okay. Okay. So he goes down to Tampa Bay. We see that some of his guys are starting to gravitate towards him, come out of retirement, all this stuff. Does Tampa Bay take it a long way next year? Oh, heck yeah. You think so? Oh, yeah. They have a good young nucleus. They got a great head coach. I think, you know, it's a lot, to me, it's a lot easier to play defense than to play offense. So it's it's easy to stop people. You can stop people. Heck, one person making a good play can stop, you know, can stop an offense. Okay. But you need a collective group on offense playing together in order to be successful. So, and I think he's going to get those guys playing. To, oh, God. Now, coming back. <laughs> This coronavirus throws a monkey wrench. Yeah, talk about that. How the coronavirus and and how are they preparing or not preparing or planning on the season? Well, if they're doing things the way that we're supposed to be doing, then you know there's not much that they're doing together, and that's the thing that you need is the offense in order to build a cohesive unit. You need time together. You know, unless you got. Unless you have 11 guys who are absolutely special, who can gel together just like that, but you know that's very that's very rare. What we did with the Rams is very rare. It was organic too. It wasn't something you're trying to make happen. It just happened. Whereas most of the other time, it takes a while to get that cohesiveness, play together, and everyone know the offense the way they should on every single level. Well, you know, you know. I know, you know, we got you a question that came in over the internet. So we brought we brought in a right guard by the name of Adam Timmerman. Mm-hmm. And so Timmerman and I, so there's footwork to an offense. There's footwork to an offensive lineman that gets the defensive lineman out of position in order for us to make to make a good block. And so when Adam and I, so when we first start going together. He likes to jump a guy, so pass sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Bay taught them to jump a guy. I'm taking deep steps. Well, it took, you know, we couldn't pass off uh, tackling stunts to save our lives. And we was like, okay, what's going on? So we figured So we figured it out. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing wrong. All right, so this is what we need to do. All right, I know this is what you like. This is what I like. And... When you need, when you got, when you got the goon over there, <laughs> when you have a Warren Sapp, when you have a, 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 a who was it? Well, uh, Dana Stubblefield, Brian Young. Oh yeah. We're gonna go your way. When I got a Mike Strahan, we're gonna go my way. So, uh. <laughs> uh, and so we figured that we figured that out. Okay. And if you look at a lot of offensive lines, and and I'm telling you, I can look at a lot of guys now, and they don't know they don't know this. And I'm talking about from college to the pros. I'm just looking at this, and I'm like, oh, I can see why this, I can see why they have this sack. This this is what they're not doing, you know. 
this one guy here, he's jumping. This one guy right here, he's sitting back. They're all flat, you know. Mm. And, and 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 even the offensive line coaches today aren't even picking that stuff up. So I'm like, okay, well here, uh, you know, this will, you know, this is what we need to do. We picked it up and we put things together. And so throughout the year, I can say, I can look at him and he can look at me and, and I know when I messed up, he knew when he messed up. Just by a look. We don't even have to say a word, just by a look. And so that's, you know, just, just the cohesiveness that you, that you build. And, you know, these guys aren't going to have that. So, so my, yeah. a couple of my years at, at Middle Tennessee State, I was a, a GA for the offensive line. And, and going from quarterback, quarterback to coaching offensive line, I learned so much more. I was like, man, I wish I knew that stuff when I was playing. Um, Joe Wickline, which is with Baylor now, and he's been at a lot of great places in college. He's a great coach, actually, uh, uh, in old school. Uh, you know, he, he coaches a lot of different ways. You know, you, you, you attack them when they come up, and then, you you know, you descend and all sorts of technique that I did not know. And if the quarterback is the most valuable position in the league, the offensive line is really right there behind the next important cohesive unit. You can have some athletes at some positions. But can, can you talk about the offensive line and, 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 and having a cohesive unit in the sense of the offensive line, how close you are, you go do things together and things like that, and what makes that special? Right. So having, a, having great athletes make it easier to, um, to get guys in the position that they need to be in. But it still takes guys knowing. You got to know, okay, this is what works for me. And this is what gets me in the position that I need to get in. You know, um, you say, would you say Joe Wickline? Joe Wickline, yeah. Was he at Texas last year? Um, he was before. He he was at Baylor my senior year. Then he went to Middle Tennessee State. And he was offensive line coach. Then he kept going with Fedora to Florida. Then they went to Oklahoma State. Yeah. And, then and then they, they go pokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, um, I think Wickline was at Texas a while and then went to West Virginia. Right. So he, so, but he was, he was the offensive line coach at Texas last year. Uh, was it last year? I thought he was at West Virginia, but it was a few years okay. before right. that. So, all right. Right. So, all right. So, you know, I, I'm just watching, I'm just watching offensive line play. And man, it's very few offensive lines where I'm looking and I'm looking at their footwork and I'm like, okay, you giving you, you guys are giving yourself a chance and you're not giving yourself a chance. And it, and it's just a matter of knowing, knowing what, you know, knowing what the defenses want to do and knowing what, you know, knowing the guy in front of you. Um, it's like, um, so you're running the three. So the defense is running a three down lineman scheme mm -hmm. and Baylor is running turn protection. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so, you know, they're going to run a three run a defense, 
a three down lineman three mm-hmm. uh, a three down lineman scheme why are you running turn protection right, right. that makes absolutely zero sense mm-hmm. because now all I have to do is loop guys outside yeah. of your turn protection and you're overloaded and now and they can't block them based on Based on their rules, it's offensive, offensive alignment. We're supposed to follow rules. If you don't follow the rules, then that's how shit get fucked up. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so why don't even call that protection? You know what they're going to run, and so that's why I was telling. Um, uh, 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 that's why I was telling some of the guys at Baylor last year. I'm like, you guys aren't supposed to run. You're getting mostly three down, a three down lineman scheme. Don't run a turn protection. Mm-hmm. You don't need a turn protection. You could do and a three three stack like a, a man, and then have guys check the blitzers and the linebackers and uh, go from there. You don't have to do that turn back at all. No, you don't have to do turn man on man or whatever. Right, is that? But you can you could do a zone scheme and say, all right, this is. We're going to take them as they fall. They can only mm-hmm. rush so many lanes. And then you count the box in college, right? Oh, it's in the box. It's in the box. Here, I'm going to do this if you do that. And they, you know, they have the simple terminology. You know, they might say a, a, a number or a, a color, and that's a whole play. Where you get NFL. Uh, heck, I always saw these quarterbacks. I was like, I would not be able to remember those plays. There's no way I could even play because I couldn't call a play that long. So it's it's interesting, oh, gosh, but yeah, gosh, man, I I still have my playbook from the Rams days, and it would be uh, shot X right Z look cookie X tango five, and I'm like, <laughs> you hear your protection? That's what you hear, right? All I needed to know was shot. That's shot. It. Okay. <laughs> All I needed to know was shot. All right, we got shot protection. That's it. <laughs> Well, you know, and to think the quarterback had to know the protection and all those routes. But that's the one thing. So when I, when I devised my offense in high school, I said, "All right, so we had over we had over two hundred plays uh-huh. in high school, and but most of them you have the same protection. Mm-hmm. You and all you have to hear is a word. If you mm-hmm. hear a word, it's a protection." If you hear a number, it's a it's a run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what March did for us too. Um, that made it easy because sometimes if I if you didn't hear the whole play, you, you hear a number, then you can say, oh okay, it's 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 this. Or if you hear if you heard a word, oh it's this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I tried to do to make it easier on the kids. And a lot of the stuff, a lot of protections were the same. And I make it all right. So if we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna throw the ball, then you know, you're gonna know where we're gonna throw the ball. And um, you know, if we run, then you're gonna hear a number, and you know, it's a run hit. You know. And I've never been around, even in the pros. So even at Tennessee, even at Chicago, March was supposed to have the most complicated offense. But it was the easiest offense to pick up. Hmm. Interesting. So, so, you know, just simple terminology. Just simple terminology. 
when you when you talk about being on a team and having cohesiveness uh, at the beginning of every football season, I absolutely love the documentaries. You got All or Nothing, you got HBO's Hard Knocks, and you see a lot of what you normally don't see from an NFL team. You know, you see the kind of behind the scenes. One, I want to talk about how you guys treat rookies. Um, and and is it as bad or is it is it glorified on the show? Do they make it Hollywood? of how bad you treat the rookies or is that is that a rite of passage consider, what do you what do you consider bad listen <laughs> i've seen a lot of stuff in my life so it's gonna have to be pretty bad for me to think it's bad right. I've, ne I've never watched a hot hard knocks so what, what would you consider bad oh i don't know i i think it's pretty funny when um and i don't even think it's bad but you know where they make them wear stupid haircuts and make them oh, yeah. oh that's easy Make so, them. So I don't know. Is there any uh, tape into the goalpost? Carry your oh, pads yeah. out. Oh, yeah. What I want to know is the oh, stuff we don't see. Yeah, that you can tell exactly. us what y'all do internally. That's oh, yeah. that's pretty messed up in a good way. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Oh, yeah. That's give good. us a couple of, uh, of ex Trump, examples. You don't. You don't have to give us a location, yeah, a player, anything like that. Just. I'll tell you right now. So when I was with Tennessee and Chicago, I'm the haircut guy. I'm I'm designing. I'm cutting all. <laughs> I'm I'm you know cutting hair, and you know if guys didn't like it, we gave it cold red. Uh, cold red, me you know, meaning uh. You talking Jack Nicholson, code red? red. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, tape to the goalposts. You know, whatever it was. You know, there was a guy that bought himself out of a code red. Oh, no. And when I was with Tennessee, the defensive line contracted us to do a code red on one of their players. Ooh. Right. That, you know, that's, that's hard. Weird. Hold on. Before we get into it, how much did he buy out of this? How much did he pay to buy out? Well, he buyout he bought the offensive line the entire offensive line dinner at the palm steakhouse Oof, and man. every guy had two bottles of cristal oh i've Ooh, heard this wow. story cristal gold so you're talking about hanging them with a forty thousand dollar bill oh it was probably at least twenty thirty thousand. okay oh my Something god like that. 20, yeah for a haircut or do you want to cut red right yeah it was going, yeah. It was, he got, he got contracted, and <laughs> he got contracted. <laughs> right. There was a you, you put a green light on him. Right. Right. His own. Right. His own position put a green light on him. So was so it? Uh, like we'd be more than happy. We'd be more than happy to do it. So. so but he came. Then the player came to us. Say, hey, look, this is what I do. And we're like, you know what? All right. <laughs> he bought he bought himself out of the contract. Wow, man! I, yeah, I think oh, those are some yeah, cool all stories. That stuff, all that stuff happened. <laughs> so, in in that, what is the atmosphere? Because you can kind of see it on those documentaries. I know you never watched one, but you can kind of feel the atmosphere there, where you have new guys, old guys, people, and and what I think is really cool is the dichotomy between the new guys and the old guys. Because you got some old guys 
that are solid in their position, not worried about it. You got some old guys that are trying that, they're treading that line where that new guy's biting at their heels. What kind of, what kind of atmosphere that they're not showing on these shows is it like in those camps? Well, you know what? So when I first got to the Rams, I had a guy that showed me the ropes. We played the same position. And eventually, the, um, the Rams released him. Uh, matter of fact, that fourth week when I went up to, to be the lone snapper, they released him. And, you know, he showed me the ropes. He, you know. He, you know, he told me everything I need to know. And, you know, without him, I could, you know, without him, I couldn't be a pro. And did you have, you know, uh, when I was in Chicago, um, uh, Cedric Benson and Thomas Jones, Thomas Jones absolutely hated Cedric Benson. <laughs> I'm talking about it was, and some I hated, you know, said, you know, Said didn't ask to get drafted there, but you know, right? You know, Tom Jones took it personal against him, and he didn't like him. And you know, so it, it was a situation where they didn't like each other. And then in time and practice, so, they collided, or something happened that probably wasn't real good. All right, it, you know, you know, it, it was a horrible situation. What? Well, just imagine, you know, just imagine getting brought into the, you know getting brought into a situation where you got to have someone to learn and the guy that you yeah. spoke, you know, the guy that is supposed to kind of teach you the ropes, he doesn't like you. So, you know, that's what happens. And, you know, you get those situations in the NFL. What do you, you know, think about it's, these it's guys? Understandable. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about these guys? Like, and I'm, I'm speaking particularly like Burrow from LSU that, before the draft ever happens, before they ever pick to a team, you know, there's talk of where they're going to go, and they're like, nah, I don't want to go there. Guy. Or, or these people that skip their bowl game. You know, I'm like, guy, you're not there yet. What what, what do the veterans and the guys that have put it down already, what do they think about people like that? Is that a quarterback that people will follow? Well, um, as far as, uh, let, let me go to skipping the bowl game. I have no problem with skipping a bowl game because it, if it's a business decision, right? If you have no, if you have no reason to play the bowl game, right? Then why play it and get hurt? If you're, you know, if your deal is to make the NFL, then do what you can to make the NFL and go on about your business. Um, you know. I, Again, it's a business. So if you have the chance to leverage wherever you go and that's what you want to do, you know, I have no problem with that. But at the same time, I do think it's a little bit of arrogance to say you're not going to go somewhere. Kind of what Eli did. Yeah. I'm not Him and Rivers did that whole trade thing. You know. Right. I, you know, I understand it. If you have that leverage, there's nothing wrong with that leverage. But at the same time, it kind of breeds of kind of breeds of a little arrogance. Uh, well, but, but here's the thing. I think it goes back to what you said when they talk about these 
you know, these college teams that say, oh, we could beat a professional team, and they lose by 100 points. I really look at that in a guy like, as good as he is, I look at a guy like, who the fuck are you? You have done nothing but played in college. That's it. You might be the best coming out of college, but you're not the best in the level you're going to. Right, but it all, but it comes back to, it comes back to leverage. It comes back to leverage and you, you making the best deal that you can for you. A absolutely, and I agree with that. The team, the team is going to make the best deal that they can make for them. As soon as they think that you can't play, yep, they're going to get absolutely. And so, you've kind of experienced that on a, on a little level. I mean, it was your, in, in your later in your career, but you, you kind of felt that yourself, did you not? Oh yeah, and and that's understandable. You know, as soon as they think that they that you can't play or they can get someone cheaper, they're gonna get they're gonna get rid of you. Absolutely, I think that's everywhere. Yeah, I think that's everywhere in life. I just look at how many flops have have come and said, I mean, the big one that comes to my head, like repeatedly, Ryan Leaf, Johnny Manziel. I mean, you got guys coming out of. So, but again, so you gotta, you gotta think about it at the time, not about after the. Okay. After what okay. Happened. I see you what you're saying. Say, you know what? You know, at the time of that, I have this yeah. leverage. So I'm going to use the leverage to create the situation that I want. And so, you know, I have no, I have no problem with that. You know, so so I know, I know the teams and I know owners. They're gonna create the situation that they want. So what I'm, you know, I've never been around a whole lot of uh, NFL guys or the inner workings. You see what's on ESPN or NFL Network or whatever, but I just look at the. I think in the NFL, especially in college, you, you can kind of control the kids. Um, you have coaches that are more suitable for college maybe because recruiting advantages or their uh, coaching philosophy and tactics are more suitable for that. In the NFL, you have grown men that are amazing at their craft, that make a lot of money, that have individual talents. I look at like a, a oh gosh, the, the recent Steelers receiver, uh, uh, gosh. You know, the one, he's actually, Antonio Brown. And then you have, how hard is it between the individual uh, egos and uh, doing what's best for the team? And is it hard to, to be neutral in those situations and be like, I'm doing my thing, I'm going to let them do their thing? Like, that's what I'm interested in is that dynamic and in, in how much it influences a team where no one sees fan-wise. All right, so to me, you know, I've, to me, it's a business. So everyone has to do what they need to do in order to handle that business. I wouldn't want anyone to get in between me and what I need to do. So I wouldn't do I wouldn't do the same thing to them. I thought what what the Steelers' offensive line um, interjected into uh what was the running back name um oh they had uh not green at the time was it no 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 the guy that just left the real good guy um oh he went to the jets yeah oh gosh uh he played at michigan state he got uh he got quite a few 
You said he was Steelers, the, right? Yeah, he was yeah. in the Steelers. He held out for an entire year, didn't yeah. play. You got Derek Watt, James Conner. No. No, no, before that, before James Conner. Um, Trey Edmonds, Jalen Samuels. Go back to go the year before that. Spencer Nye. No, go the year before that. Anthony McFarlane. No, I'll pull it up. Uh, Le- Le'Veon Bell. There you go. Le'Veon, that's right. So... When Le'Veon Bell was oh, someone on answered this on the internet. internet. <laughs> <laughs> they said <laughs> Bell. <laughs> so when Le'Veon was going through all that contract issue, you had the offensive line interject, you know, what they thought about Le'Veon's contract. I have never, ever heard of that happening. Ever. Really? You know, yeah. You know, what another guy has, what another guy is doing with his contract. You don't, you don't no talk about it, right? But the, right. That's the team and that guy. So what the hell is our offensive line doing, you know, talking about Le'Veon Bell's contract? Yeah, I don't know. I think Roethlisberger also said some crap about him and then also Antonio Brown that ran those guys off. Right. So with Bell, you know, so with Bell, so I see – you know, I see why he left. You know, I, you know, you can't tell you can't tell another guy what he's worth. Mm-mm. That's between that's between ownership and that guy. In that business too, it's, it's it's challenging, challenging enough, enough because you're disposable. But you're disposable if your contract's higher than someone that they think can bring in. You're disposable, right? exactly. and you got to get what you can get when you can get it, right, Fred? Right, exactly. So, Fred, can we talk about for a minute? I want to break away from the NFL for a minute. Yeah. We had the XFL this last year, and I'm going to be right up front. I loved it. I watched every game. First off, what do you think about an XFL? I think it's way different than the first time they brought it back. I think they took it very serious this time. And I I think it would have opened a lot of avenues for the NFL. But I kind of want to get your thoughts on it. I think it's too much football. People don't want people don't want that much football, and it, you know, there's not there hasn't been a um, there hasn't been football that work outside of the NFL, college. Mm-hmm. People have tried it many times, but that's not what people want. People want college because I can root, you know, root for Mm -hmm. my local team and NFL because I can root for my local team. That's all they want. They don't want anything else. You know, will it, can another football league work? The only way that it has a chance of working is if the NFL is behind it and they try to put together a farm league. And, and that was my next question, was the farm league. So we have minor league baseball teams. We have minor league soccer teams. All these farm teams that bring them up, push them back down, bring them back up when they're ready. The NFL doesn't have anything like that. And, and do you think that that would make the sport on a whole new level better by having that ability to farm these people up? I actually, I actually think it's wrong. I think it's too much football. Okay. I think people. I, I think people want less football, and that that's even goes for the Thursday night game. People don't want the Thursday night game. You and also the preseason being so long, right? Nah, I'm fine with the preseason. I'm fine with the preseason. Keep the Monday night game. 
keep the Sunday night game, play everything else on Sundays. When, um, you know, when college football tapers, then you can put a game or two mm-hmm. on a Thursday or Saturday. But too much football, people just don't want it because there's not enough games that are interesting. They want quality you know? football and right. action, which college football, you know that machine, it's a tell machine, um, amateur versus pro. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you agree with paying college players? Well, this is going to be interesting. That that breath, that side. This is a tough one. That's a tough one. And it's tough because I think you have to take it to your view. I'm a guy that's for the totality of, of the environment. And meaning... A lot of colleges pay for a lot of other sports with the money they bring mm-hmm. in from football. Absolutely. So, what I want to see those other sports go by the wayside. I wouldn't want to see that, and especially a lot of, especially a lot of the women's sports. Um. So, if you were to pay college football players, then you can't have those other sports. Mm-hmm. So something, they carry something every to, other sports in the program. But at the same time, you got these college coaches making ten million dollars a year. Yep. Yep. Some making ten million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. University of Oklahoma. Oklahoma. It's crazy. A and M's Jimbo oh. Fisher. I went to Oklahoma State, so I hate OU. So anything you want to say bad about them, I graduated from Oklahoma State. So Rap was also at conference, so that was. Yeah. He didn't get to experience any Big 12 play. He so, left so, about that time. So, and that, I guess, Fred, that goes back to what I was talking about with the XFL. If we're not going to play these, pay these players in college and stuff, the way I look at it is you got these guys that, and, and you're going to have to agree that we've got some guys that go to college, play football, that have no business being in college. They're, they're not going to do anything with that degree. They're probably not going to finish the degree. Right. And I think the XFL gave that chance for them to go, hey, you can go to college and you can do whatever and and or we'll give you $50,000 to come play, let you build yourself up to possibly get in the NFL, but you're doing what you love. You're not- right. I, I just don't think you build yourself up anymore. College is you the perfect have, platform, right? You might have 1% that would go on from the XFL to the next level. Um, and that's at the end of their season where they're wore down. Well, they might be in game shape the first two, three games or four games, but come game 10, they're burnt out. They're done. Physically, they can't hardly handle anymore. But that's only one year. Right. That's true. Yeah, I, I, would, rather see, I would rather see them go back over to Europe and try to expand the game over there versus having it here and – yeah, I just don't think it's, you know, you're just not going to get enough of a following. People, and, and two, how much, you know, the price of games now, people would rather go and see an NFL game, would rather go and see a college game. And hell, you know, you you know, two people to go see a game, it's mm-hmm. 300, 400 bucks. Absolutely. And so, am I going to pay that to go see another uh, football game? Um 
especially if I have basketball and, and hockey and baseball in my city as well, and I want to go make and see a game then. You know, so I, I just I find a hard time for an XFL type of league to make it. I just, you know, I just don't see how it does it. I, I think the reason I liked it so much was because you, you, it almost got back to, and I'll go into how you described the, the first Super Bowl you were at, where it's all about the spectacle to people. I, I think the XFL went to that where it's it's intimate. It makes those those fans feel like they, man, I could, I could know that guy. I could know that guy. You, you got 50,000 fans in the stands. You're, you're not going to meet anybody. You're not. Well, you're hearing plays called, and you're hearing right. Uh, you're 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 getting internal access live that you're not going to get from the NFL for a very much right. good reason. And uh, but I can see the attractiveness of that as well. Yeah, it, it it makes it more intimate to me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to watch the NFL. I love to watch the Super Bowl. But I and and I want to see if you agree. I believe that the Super Bowl has become less about football. And more about all the marketing deals, the commercials, the halftime show. I, I think that's what it's kind of come to now. But that's the beauty of the NFL, right? They're doing a business perspective, and then they're selling it to people that love football. So I think they're trying to get every avenue from a business, from a profitability perspective. Uh, well, how do you feel about that, Fred? I'm sorry to cut you off on that. No, that's okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know. So... You know, so the football commercials in the Super Bowl is a huge deal. And a lot of people who aren't attracted to football watch just because of, just so they can see the commercials. Absolutely. But, at, you know, but at the same time, football has put on a good product in a game for the last several years. Mm -hmm. It's been some really, some really good football games. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you can make it. You know, I don't know how you can make it any better. Those games, you know, the games have been close. There's been a lot of electricity in the air. It's been fun to watch them. Um, you know, so I don't know how you can make that better. And the commercials, you know, the commercials haven't been as good. But a lot, I, you know, a I lot completely of agree. Right. A lot of people enjoy, you know, watching the commercials. They just, you know, you know, I think they need to, you know, I, you know, I wasn't that, you know, that thrill with the hand. Oh, that's not good. If your guest yawns, that's not a good thing. Yeah, we're going on. <laughs> No, I wasn't that thrilled with the halftime show this past year. I wasn't either. We talked about it on this show. Yeah. Right. It was okay. They went for this okay. random sex appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Jennifer Lopez is good. You know, to me, she's just not an icon. You know, I, you know, yes. I want to see icons at the Super Bowl. Right. You know, the Super Bowls I was at, you know, Prince was there. Oh, oh gosh. God. And it rained when he was singing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. You know, right. So, um, it was a good half. What's your favorite Prince song? Let me ask that real quick. 
Wow. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I got to go with Darling Nikki. I got Raspberry I Beret. <laughs> raspberry. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Adore You. Okay. Really? Yeah, that's All my right. favorite Prince song. All right. So, so let's move into your... I used to sing that. Say that again. So my roommate and I used to sing Adore You driving from Waco to Houston. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, so let's talk about your charities, man. That's the big deal. You know, we on this show try and talk about people that give back to their communities. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, Fred. I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I have never heard of someone in the NFL as giving as you. Aunt Drew Breach just gave $5 million to Look, man. <laughs> well, he also has like $190 million in the bank, so... So, so here's the thing, Fred. So you give a million dollars away. And it, at that time, it's the largest charitable donation ever given. It might have been 1.25, something like that. Here's the thing. What do you, first off, what are you doing? What, what, what are you thinking when you, because I can't even fathom giving away that much money. I'm not saying that if I had that much money, I wouldn't. But I can't even fathom giving away a million dollars. So what goes to because that takes a special person. And what person. was the cause? You had a you had a a preemie, right? Right, so, right. So it, you know, it was just a matter of giving back, and it's what you know, going back to my roots, growing up in Greater Macedonia Baptist Church, and growing through Baylor. Is, you know, you give back, and that's what God calls us to do. So, um, you know, I was just just being a faithful servant and being a good steward of the money that was, um, that was given me to give to somebody uh, to help other people out. It's all about love, dude. All about love and love, um, love our fellow man and to help out as much as possible. So do you want to talk about that charity that you gave the money to and, and kind of explain, I, I put it on, um, some show notes that we talked yeah. about together and stuff, but let's talk about that charity for a minute. Yeah, so so the organization was Nurses for Newborns, so what we did, we hired registered nurses to go out to families uh, who had newborn kids to help them uh, take, care of the, uh, take care of newborns. You know, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of families and a lot of newborns that have mothers that, that weren't put in the great the greatest of uh, positions, and uh, you know we would have, you know, newborn, uh, you know, newborns that were getting Kool-Aid, you know, as a newborn, and you know, uh, Kool-Aid is in the nutritious. Yeah, As much as they put the fruit flavor in, it is yeah, not exactly. nutritious. And I love some Kool-Aid, but you know, um, so you know. Just things like that. We just helped out with families and uh, to help put them in a better position to make better choices uh, for newborns. And Fred's a humble guy, and and I can see how awkward he is talking about what he does and what he's done for the community. But can you talk a little bit more? I, I saw some things online, but I couldn't find articles. But you, during Hurricane Katrina, you know, you're a Houston native. What were some things you did during that time to, to give back or to charitable or 
during that that awful situation. Also, be advised, Fred, this is just the beginning of making it awkward for you. We pushed the envelope on this show. Well, we, uh, hey guys, I'm about to disconnect my AirPods. We're about That's to okay. And I'm sorry we've gone long, man. Thank you for your time. Hopefully we don't get any feedback. No, that's perfect. Okay. So um, uh, during Katrina, well, during Harvey, when we had all the flooding here, and I've never seen so much water in my life. I guess I should have said Harvey. I said Katrina, sorry. Um, It was like, man, it was like the movie Waterworld. It was crazy. It was water as, as far as you can see. And so um, a buddy of mine gives me a call and he asked me, you know, he said, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just kind of sitting in the house. And I was like, well, you know, I've been running, you know, uh, picking up um, uh, perishable items so we can take them over to the local high school so they can feed people. And he's like, what? He's like, uh, he's like, don't you have a boat? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) It's like, um, you know, why don't you come out and help us out and see if we can, you know, evacuate some people. And um, it's like, well, you know, my boat's a little too big. And he's like, well, you got wave runners? Like, yeah, I got wave runners. I grabbed a wave runner. So, you know, got on my wave runners and uh, we started going around the city and evacuating people. Nice. And uh, man, it's it was so much water that we can launch these wave runners in the middle of a street. Yeah, Absolutely. It was, it was crazy. What and, part of Houston do you live now, Fred, or so at the we, time? You know, so we went all over Houston, then we drove down to Beaumont and helping evacuate people. Oh, man. man. You drove all the way to Beaumont, Beaumont on your jet ski, huh? No, no, no. In a boat? I had to trailer. I had to okay. Trailer. <laughs> well, I was saying there for a while, it was... <laughs> You could almost ride over there on the water. Oh, you know what? I'm trying to think. Will I be able to find? Could I find a way from Beaumont to my house? I probably could if I was. Re- yeah, I could. I could find a way. Right. I could find a way. It was that much water. Yeah. 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 So, so what part of Houston do you reside in, or? I'm in, I'm in Cypress. I'm in So, okay. So, I, I'm from College Station. So, so you're on the, on the north north side. Okay. Highway six. Okay. All right. All right. We we just went down there. The, my first time in Houston. Uh, well, right before all this happened at spring break, uh, we went down to Houston. Went to NASA, uh, Galveston, all that kind of my stuff. My wife's from Galveston too, so. It was uh, it it was nice down there. You you guys, as you come in, we came in at night, and you have that big uh, like Ferris wheel now, and everything as you're coming in. It's it's pretty cool looking. So, Which one are you talking about? You you came in on forty five then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't come through Cyprus then. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. you came in on. Cyprus is off two ninety, right? Because I well, when we came in, we went straight down by, yeah, straight down by NASA. We weren't very Maybe far from it stupid. before we. Y'all just figured out it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You came in. Yeah, so you came in on forty five. On Greens Point, and that's where that um, police helicopter went down. Oh, the other day with, yeah. in the apartment yeah. complex. A couple of blocks from there, yeah. Matter of fact, um, uh, one of the guys in the, in, in the helicopter, he does security work at, at our church. So um, tomorrow I have to 
go out to the procession. Oh, that's that's it was a horrible thing that happened. Um yeah. and and there hasn't been a lot released about it. Um supposedly they were on a call, uh they lost control and um luckily they were and I say luckily just say that again. I'm guessing it has to be some mechanical Yeah, and and when I say luckily it's in the in the middle of the you know in like a, a rural area where it's pretty dark and they might hit a power line or something like that. Yeah. You know, and when they put it down, like I said, luckily, um, they, they were able to put it down in, in the middle of a complex in the clubhouse where there was no people inside it. I mean, that, that, that's an amazing feat by that pilot. And it's super, super, uh, a, a great loss for Houston when that happened. Um, so, in in the other charities that you've given and and the things that you've done, um, you've given to Baylor and and I think at one time and I think it still stands that you are the most charitable NFL player ever to give back to Baylor. Is that correct? I, I don't want to put you on the spot again, but I kind of do. I don't know. I don't know. So I will tell you, uh, I took a tour with my nephews and my son, Baylor campus. So so when Fred and I were at Baylor, we played at Floyd Casey Stadium, which was off campus. Now they have McLean Stadium. It's all badass. It's on the river. They don't even know how good they got it. They got a athletic <laughs> conditioning field. They got a learning center. I mean, they wipe their butts for them these days. But but I got a private tour of the uh, facility and I saw your name is on the meeting room for the football players. So you donated enough money to build that meeting room. It's a great honor uh, having your name on it, Brad. You're in. Fred, you're intellectual, you're a deep thinker, you're personable. Uh, Sociology major. Well, you know, here's the deal. I haven't seen Fred since probably 2000, and we played a few years at Baylor, and he came on the show. So that shows up what kind of guy he is. Uh, He gives back. He's never too big time for anybody. He's played in Super Bowls. He's given money, and he's still a grounded guy. So I, I think that speaks to him and that facility that Baylor built over there with his contributions and his fan Fantastic! It's uh, part of what's putting uh, put them back on the next level, and that's good to see because uh, it hadn't always been that way. So I appreciate you, Fred, for doing that. Yeah, man, it's just all about being a disciple of God. That's it, man. Just if you know, if you don't mind, be good to people. If you don't mind, Fred, I'd like to ask you one more question about charitable. When we talk about that, and and I. I Mostly we're joking with you because it, it makes you uncomfortable and we get joy out of that. But the the thing that I want to ask you about is <clears throat> I think I see a lot of people talk about NFL players or, or actors or anybody that's famous. And they say that, that they're not giving. I don't know if you can speak to it, but is, is there a reason that you think that – and we'll talk about NFL players in general um, – don't give away a lot of their money. Is it because they they are worried that there's that short lifespan? Maybe that 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 they might not be as valuable tomorrow as they are today. Just the the reason behind it. Too many hands in those pockets. I think it's total opposite. I'm, I'm talking about most guys that I knew. I'm, I'm talking about from from sports to okay. entertainers. Everyone has a foundation or you know, has a terrible thing that they give to, give their time, give money, you know, you know, everyone has something going on. And, and 
you know, I, you know, I see it, you know, I see it more than anything, you know, more. Than well, I think you would see it more than us. Definitely. Yeah. I, you know, I see a ton of it, you know, heck, you know, I used to do events with, you know, country singers in Nashville, you know, to, you know, Montgomery Gentry and, mm. and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, Rascal Flats and, and uh, Kevin Carter, who played with me, and he was a good defensive I've end. Been, you know, I've been through and been to just a ton of events, tons of. Events. So you think tons that that is that guys give, give a lot. So you think that that is maybe overlooked because you see it from a different perspective than we do. You see it from another perspective. Is that something that maybe people should take away from it? Is that that. Maybe they don't see how the sausage is made. They just see that finished product. Yeah, you know, I, you know, if you like me, you know, I, you know, I don't feel that I have to go out and talk about all the stuff that I Absolutely. do. You know, it's just a matter of just going out and, you know, like I say, being a disciple of God and and, and that's amazing. Loving people and. You know, a lot of people I know, are, you know, just like that. A lot of players I know are just like that. They do, you know, they do an awful lot. And, you know, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's easy to demonize, you know, to de demonize players. Way too easy. Um, but, you know, guys should do so much. You know, I, 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 you know, I look at someone like LeBron James. Okay. okay. LeBron James has done a ton in the community. A ton, and you know, way more than what Michael Jordan has done in the community. Mm -hmm. And LeBron James get a bad rap, you know, sometimes for, you know, you know, you know, the things that he does or how he plays. And but people don't, you know, people don't judge Michael Jordan by those same, you know, by those right. same standards. Now, um, so I, you know, it's. You know, it's really hard to say, you know, why someone would think the way that they think, you know, why, you know, players, why they say players don't give back. But, man, it, I'm telling you, there's a ton of NFL players and a ton of, you know, all of professional players that give back. Um, and so, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a, a, a valid um, a valid argument, and I would say to the contrary, what people do, you know, and like people, but plenty of athletes give back. Well, you know, I, and I will say this real quick too is uh, I think so much of the media and so much of our society is on bringing down those that do well or do good. I think there's a really terrible thing going on with that is how can we find dirt on someone or something? If you look hard enough on everybody, everybody has demons. Uh, yeah. but, also, but also too, too you know when you get to the level have you have you been watching the last dance by the way with michael jordan i haven't watched it i'm, I'm waiting start to watching that i like to binge watch you like to binge watch me too uh but it's been interesting in that um how he's been criticized uh, uh, for not um supporting a, a, a black candidate for north carolina not speaking out and you look at what LeBron James has done. He's such a social figure on so many levels, not just sports. He has clothing lines. He has this. He, he, he can touch every possible avenue publicly 
that you could imagine. And he does it in a, in his own way. And I appreciate that. You don't have to agree with him on every subject. You don't have to, um, believe in certain things, but I respect the crap out of him standing up and taking courage and saying, I care about this cause. And I care about that cause. Or you have someone in your family that's gone through something and you support that. And, uh, too, too often they are brutalized and scrutinized for things that's that are very unfair. And uh, I know Michael Jordan's getting some flack for some of that right now on his uh, his show. Well, see, you think, right. So you look at Michael. So you look at Michael Jordan and how he gets scrutinized for not being a voice and a black an activist. And you, look at, and you look at Tiger Woods, who not well. They were a voice, and to me, they were a voice in a different way. Absolutely. They were a voice, and you know what? I can be the brand of not only my team, but I can be the brand of the entire sport. Absolutely. I can be the brand, you know, of a culture in the entire world, you know, and, you know, I I think they, you know, I think they, um, they made statements in different ways and not everyone is meant to make a statement um, vocally um, nope. as in say, Hey, look, I'm for this black cause. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you could just go out and live your life and people are going to see, you know, who you are for who you are, you know, uh, heck, you know, <laughs> you know, I look at, you know, you know, I got young kids now, you got everyone now, um, you know, everyone's putting their kids in all kind of private lessons and thinking their kid is going to be the next professional athlete. Hey, that's, you know, that's Tiger Woods and that's Earl Woods. Earl Woods done all that. Everyone Way before anyone else was, else was doing it. Doing it. You know, everyone saw what Tiger Woods did. And everyone thinks that they can be the next Tiger Woods if I just start training my kid at three years old, you know. And so, um, you know, we, you know, you gotta, you know, everyone, like I say, everyone is not meant to be that vocal leader. You know, there's other ways to lead, and I think what Michael Jordan has done in his life, and Tiger Woods has done in his life, or, you know pretty exceptional things and you just got to respect the things that they do and respect the way that they lead, you know, that they live their lives and how they want to be uh, a leader. I have one more question question. for you, Fred. Sure. I want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys for a second (laughs) and more specifically because I went to Oklahoma state, Des Bryant. Yeah. So Des Bryant has left the team, but he has been very vocal in the past about decisions that the Dallas Cowboys have made. He's even so far as this year said that he was practicing with Dak and that he had a good practice and that they were catching balls and all this kind of stuff. And during this quarantine, he was at a party at Dak's. What do you think about that? Is it just making noise for the sake of making noise or do you think he legitimately wants back in the NFL? Oh, I think he yeah, he legitimately wants back in. I've never seen a guy that's that's fallen so fast. I know, right? That you've gone from the perennial guy to not getting a shot at all. You know, unless 
unless they see something that that we haven't seen, you know, I, I don't get it. You know, heck, you know, somebody, you know, Cleveland, <laughs> you know, Cincinnati, someone should be willing to pick, you know, pick up a guy to just give him a give him a chance. Um, you know, teach the teach the younger guys. Well, you know, New Orleans was really excited about him uh, until he tore his Achilles. They, I mean, he really made some uh, impressions on his teammates, and he's still not that old of a guy. I, I mean, now they, they, you know, they drafted, you know, they have Amari and they got uh, C.D. Lamb and they got uh, got a Gallup. Yeah, but he, if he's willing to come in at the middle and just be a contributor, right? He's not though. That's the whole problem. And he has something to prove. What do you have to lose? I agree with that. But so but he but he's he doesn't work out. You get rid of him. Fred. He's not that guy. He is not that guy to come in and just be like, "Hey, let me mentor you guys and show you how to do it." He knows he has to be that guy now. Yeah, he he doesn't have a choice, or he's not going to be welcome. Yeah, right. So do you do you predict that he'll be back? Totally random. Jerry Jones now. Wow. Jerry Jones. I'm going. Wow! If they start losing, the sell tickets, they will. They haven't resigned Zach. I mean, uh, it's so stupid. Yeah, well, and it's over years. It's like he—they're willing to pay him thirty-five million a year. Dak wants five. They want. Well, no, Dak wants four. They want five. It's like really, just get to the damn end of it. Right. Stupid. Well, and I think they're. I think they're doing all kinds of sneaky stuff by bringing in another quarterback and, you know, kind of telling him, hey, you might be at your... I like Andy Dalton's backup because... I do too. He's never going to threaten the... They know who the man is. But if somehow in the, in, in the league, you know, he talks about Trent Dilfer going down. Kurt Warner, if you have a capable guy that can play in the system, well, it, shit, you never know what's going to isn't, happen. Isn't that... I mean, if we're going to go way back... Let, isn't that how Tom Brady got his start? Well, look at uh, Steve Young it was after Montana. Brady, uh, yeah, you talk about uh, Drew. Uh, Drew Bledsoe going Bledsoe, down. Bledsoe, yeah, it's all over the league. So someone's someone's bad. Someone has lost opportunity. That's the way it works. Isn't that right, Fred? Yeah, you know it's you know you know I, I thought they brought I thought they bring Dalton in to. Put a little pressure on. on That's Dak. exactly what I thought. Because he's not a bad quarterback. You know, no. I'm not a I'm not an NFL negotiator. I'm not a GM. But to me, it, it's kind of like a slap in the face. You think so? Yeah, yeah. To me, it is. Versus being truthful, you know, if we are to work together, you know, you don't have to play games with. You know, let's be truthful and you know get it done. But Evidently, they're playing. You know, they're playing games to get this done. Yep. I think that's a Jerry Jones signature move, though. Yep. Well, Fred, I think we've come to the end of this. We've kept you for an hour and forty-two minutes with all the technical difficulties. Probably like three hours, but you know, who's counting? Fred, you're the man. I love you, man. Uh, you'll always mean a lot to me. Thank you for picking up a freshman and dusting them off and saying either you do or you don't. But uh, I appreciate you uh, 
for back then. I appreciate you for coming on the show, and you're a great guy, and uh, you're a legend in my heart. So thank you so much. Fred, you are welcome on this show anytime you want. Is there anything before we let you go? Is there anything you want to promote right now? Anything that you're doing charity-wise or anything like that? Not just what I will you have in your cup. Me? Uh, some uh, Pendleton. Pendleton oh, whiskey. It, let, let, me, let me tell you about this whiskey. If you like a nice chocolate, it starts with a nice chocolate flavor. Oh, it's got a little burn on the backside of it. I'm telling you, it it's made in smooth. Oregon. It finishes smooth. It's the best whiskey you'll ever have. Pendleton, huh? Pendleton, yep. My brother-in-law lied to me when I first drank it, and he told me it was $450 a bottle. <laughs> it wasn't that much. I would have bought so, it. And so we drank the whole thing, and I, I said the next morning, this was years ago, and I go, oh, holy shit, we drank your $450 bottle. And he's like, you know what? It's okay. I went to the liquor store to get it. It was like $45. I was like, you mother... So, you know. Hey, hey, real quick. Real quick. Real talk. You know a lot of... You know, Larry Fedora, the Baylor staff, your Baylor guy. College football happens this year. What's Baylor's record? Oh, good one. Also, what's Oklahoma State's record? Who cares about that? But tell tell me Baylor's record. Wow and wow. That's a tough one. That is tough. I don't think we see a college football season this year. Oh. I don't I don't think we see a college football season this year. They're already talking about school being we definitely we definitely see a college football season. They're already talking about the the school being I I I completely get it, but they're already talking about the school being blended. Even if they start in January. Okay. They'll still have a season. Because you're right, if you know, and you know, my, you might see all this stuff that we talked about with paying players. I heard Bo Nix with Auburn; he might get six hundred fifty thousand dollars by the time he gets done playing before NFL, because his value. Yeah, it's they're talking crazy. Who's got the biggest pocket? But Baylor plays; they have some time to go through two a days, almost their spring football. No matter when it is, what's their record? Okay, Fred Miller. Uh, is Brewer coming back? Yes. Yes. That's good. Watson is not. Wow. It's yeah, tough. No pressure. You're a Baylor, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know, so that's putting a lot of trust in. I'm going to say, I'm going to say. And what did they have coming back? I'm going to say eight and three. Ooh, I like it, Fred. Eight and three. You know what? I'll, I'll roll, with, I'll roll oh, with you hey, on that. Could you be quiet for a second? He's talking about Oklahoma State now. I was awesome. Could you be quiet for I was a second? Giddy. I'm sorry. You know me. I'm not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of the mullet. He needs to let that go. Hey, he coached me one year, by the way, well, in my junior here, year. Uh, let me tell you something, Fred. I'm a diehard Oklahoma State fan. They need to move on past Gundy. Him and Warren Buffett had he, some he had a He had a big thing with Pickens and – and Pickens, my bad, Warren Buffett. Uh, but they need to – it's time we move past him get a new coach. He's been there a little too long. So, so give me your – He's making – 
He's making some cheddar too. He is making cheddar. He he is, and and the reason he's making that cheddar is one because T Boone Pickens protested for him so much and said, "If I'm going to give all this money to the university, you're going to do this." And two, when Arkansas and a couple of the other schools started talking to him, they were like, "Oh, well, let's pay you crazy amounts." And uh, I'm very frustrated. I'm a fan till the end, but I'm very frustrated with the program right now. I say five and six. Oh, come on. No, I'm serious. No, they, they, well, Oklahoma State came out strong at the end. Yep. yep. But their quarterback, I think, is gone. He yeah, recruits I'm going to well. go, go seven and. 75. I'm going to go seven and four, OSU. Oh, 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 okay, all right. That's one less than Baylor. Baylor beats the shit out of him, by the way. <laughs> hey, Fred, thank you, man. Uh, thanks yeah, man. for being on with us so long. Yeah, uh, so great, man. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. If there's anything we can promote for you, anything we can put out to our nine fans, uh, you let us know. <laughs> I owe you, man. You I owe you. that checked in? <laughs> <laughs> Fred said, you starting a podcast too? Damn. <laughs> All right, man. We're going to let you get out of here. Guys, uh, Fred Miller, thank you so much, sir. Legend. Thanks, thank Fred. you. Guys, thank you for joining us this week. And uh, that's it for this week. And uh, we'll catch you next Friday, 930 Central Standard Time. Facebook Live, and then, of course, we go out to all of the podcast sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox. Everywhere you find your podcast, you'll find us. So we'll catch you on the next one. See you later, guys. Bye.